freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 223. Are you of, sure that's 223 or not 556? I'm pretty sure it's 223. <laughs> okay. Of course, we're talking ammo calibers here on Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. Our theme of the show today is the illustrated history of firearms. And our guest today is Jim Sapika. Jim recently retired as director of the NRA Museums Division, where he co-authored the just-released Illustrated History of Firearms 2nd Edition uh, uh, with NRA Museum Senior Curators Phil Scher. Oh, Schreier. I butchered that, didn't I? And you know, Phil. <laughs> the first edition of this book is sitting on the shelf behind me uh, and was the best-selling firearms book of all time. And I'm sure this one will be in that category as well. Welcome to the show, Jim. It's so good to see you guys again. I love what you do. And it's always a, a fun time to get to be with you a little bit. Well, Jim, I love what you do too, but you just got me in some trouble now. I'm a uh, I've been looking at the book, and you know, I try to use your book as an inventory sheet oh my of what I want. <laughs> yeah, good and, luck. And I'm, I'm thumbing through this book. I thought I knew everything there was to know about guns. You know, yeah. enough, right, to get me in trouble. Yeah, yeah. I, and I was born in 1955, and in 1955, Winchester made a rifle, a hunting rifle, with a transistor radio in the stock. <laughs> Is that I gotta real? have that. Is that for they old made, pages? They made on? one of them. So oh, okay. You're, you're <laughs> going to have to wrestle Doug Wickland and Phil Schreier to get it away from the museum because I don't think they're going to let go of it easy. Wow. I'm just, I thought I knew, knew everything. How did you get started in all this? Well, way too many Westerns as a kid. You know, uh, we're of a similar age, so you can probably relate, but. Uh, uh, way too many westerns. I had a weapons box instead of a toy box with uh, Mattel Fanner 50s and all the all the kid guns that you have. have. Uh, I didn't get my first real gun until I was 21, but I wow. always kept the interest in them and I started collecting. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it just grew from there. Eventually, I tried to go into uh, the business of uh, selling antique and collectible firearms. That's always a bad idea to go into your hobby as a business, but we yes. made it work for about 17 years. Old Town Station and armchairgunshow.com and armsbid.com and Colin Sapika Firearms Auction. And that went well for us. I started writing about guns, uh, books and articles. And uh, uh, about 12 years ago, NRA uh, contacted me and asked if I would be interested in being the director of their museums. And that is the only job in the world that I would rather do over what I was already doing. I love my work with my, my little antique gun business. But, uh, and I, I did, first of all, at first I said, oh, I, we can't do it. We're based in Kansas. Our family's here. Uh, we just, we, we just can't move. But I talked to Eve about it and she said, look, that's your dream job. Uh, we'll make it work. So thanks to her, we, we packed up, uh, we leased out our house. We moved to the D.C. area, and I spent 12 great years with that remarkable team that we've got there at the NRA Museums. You did so a beautiful awesome. job with that, too. We got to tour the museum once. What a beautiful place to go. We got the tour yes. with Mr. <laughs> Jim Supika. It was, wow. it was amazing. And our granddaughter, I think she was probably four at the time. 
uh, she still talks about that. I mean, that, well, that was a lot of fun. That was oh, big man, fun. Was it ever? Was yeah. it ever? So, so, and this little auction house that you had, yeah. uh, that was uh, before the time of internet and all that, right? And you did mail order? Yeah, we were just, I, I ran a mail order catalog. I loved doing the print catalog because I had a policy that I wouldn't sell a gun until after it had been published in the catalog. So my subscribers would get first shot at it. But what it really meant was I loved buying them and I hated selling them. I just hated letting every gun I sold go. And so I don't I know anybody on the catalog. That. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he understands. He understands. Oh, totally. Uh, but uh, uh, really enjoyed doing that. Had a great time. Liked making the catalog. Uh, it went over well. So yeah, it was uh, it was it was a lot of work and it was fun work. Right. It is fun. You look at this whole book. I mean, you've got uh, guns just for fun. You've got yeah. movie guns. Yeah. Uh, a lot of history talking about uh, you know the all the wars and um, the times throughout yeah. the year. Firearms. Yeah. Well, that is, that is the fourth major book that the NRA museums have put out since I started there. And uh, to me, it's far and away the best. It combines the very best of the first three books. Uh, there are some couple huge collections that came in recently. And the, the prime pieces uh, from those two collections are in this book. They haven't been in the previous books. Uh, and uh, I, I like the layout. We tried to put more faces with guns where there's a history with a gun. Those are always my favorite guns. So we, if it had belonged to someone, we tried to be sure and get that information there. We've got guns in there from presidents and kings and generals and Medal of Arm, Honor recipients and law enforcement officers and outlaws and Old West lawmen and uh, exhibition shooters like uh, Annie Oakley. And uh, uh, just a lot, and you know, guns in there that people just have in their in their closets at home too. And that's a fun part of our museums is seeing people go through and pointing at a gun and you know saying Uncle Earl's got one like that or yeah that's what uh, that's what Dad carried when he was uh, on the force. Uh, so, so that's uh, that, that's a big thing too. The guns that that just have belonged to Americans had a lot of use. Uh, those are uh, important artifacts for those museums too. They sure are. And what I always find fun is the oddities, the oh, stuff that those. where they've, they've taken two things that really shouldn't. It's kind of like the, uh, the Reese's peanut butter cup yeah, yeah. type uh, firearms, right? Yeah. It's like chocolate yeah. and peanut butter. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they go good together. Some yeah, of them don't quite go good together. <laughs> exactly. The Reese's peanut butter thing works out, but most of these are just terrible ideas, but they're fascinating <laughs> and they're fun. And I bet you're right at one of the pages there that, uh, that has them on it. I'm on page 52, and there's yep. one that's, it's a knife, but it's a gun, but it's a gun, yeah. but it's a knife, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. uh, um, what, uh, I mean, some of these are, they are impractical, but yes. in the process, in the history of guns, you know, developing and morphing and changing in the technology, uh, it's, it shows us that people are willing to think out of the box and it's not exactly. just like, well, a gun is a gun and it always was a gun and that's all it's ever going to be. So I really enjoy the, the creativity yeah. here. Yeah. You know, you look at a Colt Patterson revolver and it looks really weird to us, but it was Samuel Colt's first revolver. And until he invented them, nobody knew what a revolver should look like. So it's interesting to see, see that uh, evolution. Uh, same way with uh, a broom handle semi-auto pistol. Nobody knew what a, a semi-auto pistol should look like. It looks odd and old-fashioned to us. It looks a little futuristic. They base some Star Wars blasters on it too, but uh, yes. uh, it's just fun to see those old designs and watch them evolve. And like you say, the terrible ideas are some of the most interesting, if, if a little bit horrifying. Give me a terrible idea. <laughs> Tell me one. She was turned to a page there that has one of the worst ideas on it ever. Uh, a cemetery gun. And it turns out that in England in the early 1800s, the way you train doctors was at autopsy theaters. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, they would get a fresh cadaver and the doctors in training would open it up and examine it and 
and uh, figure out how it worked. And wealthy people could buy tickets to go to these autopsy theaters and watch the process. And uh, uh, the only cadaver that they could legally work on was an executed criminal, and they ran out of executed criminals pretty fast. So an entire new career field uh, opened up of, of uh, resurrectionists, grave robbers. <laughs> and they would find a fresh grave in the cemetery, dig it up, haul the corpse down to the autopsy theater, sell it to the autopsy theater, and make a quick buck. Well, this was not popular with the cemeteries. They started building fences, they started hiring guns, and some enterprising person came up with the idea of renting the family of the dear departed a cemetery gun. Now, this was a flintlock mounted in a big oval of wood, just a short, about 18 inch long, uh, flared muzzle like a blunderbuss with a big old flintlock sitting on it. And it was mounted in a stake that went into the ground and then it had three rings attached to the trigger. And you would stretch wires out. There it is right there. This guy, stretch, I don't know if it can, you can see it yeah, very well, but yeah. yeah. You'd, you'd stretch wires out from those three rings uh, and put them to stakes in the ground. I'm gonna look real quick here myself. 52. 52, thank you. Yep. There, there we it go. Is. That's it. That's, that's your cemetery gun. And then uh, your grave robber would come along and trip over one of those. The gun would swivel towards the grave robber and fire. Oh my gosh. This was, uh, this was a fairly effective disincentive to, to dig up fresh cadavers. Uh, but with, as, as with so many trap guns, the, the horror of the concept eventually came up with the, hey, this is a, a good idea. And uh, uh, they, weren't, they weren't used long, but uh, you see that concept repeated and there are other guns in there like that. Trap guns, uh, spring guns, set guns, they're set to go off uh, with nobody attending them. It's like a, you know, it's like a, a single shot landmine in a, a certain way, but you see them used for animal traps, for, uh, for uh, controlling varmints or harvesting furs. You see them used as supposedly burglar alarms, but they could be loaded with lethal loads as well. And uh, of course, the, uh, the late 19th, early 20th century, there are uh, uh, a handful of lawsuits over people who did this and uh, came to uh, grief either in the, the criminal or civil justice system over having set these uh, these really bad ideas up. Well, it's well, indiscriminate. And, you know, so if you, are you exactly. a grave robber or are you going to, uh, you know, visit your your departed's grave and you trip over this wire? I mean, it's, exactly. it's, it's just... I'd hate to be a landskeeper for that uh, yes. period of time. <laughs> it, you know, yes. then, are you sure you disconnected them all? Yeah. yeah. Yes. And then uh, just recently, I, I would say within the last two years, I uh, read an article where a gentleman set up traps in his own home yeah. and end up killing himself because yeah. he, it's, he it's amazing that this this bad idea still gets revisited but it, yeah. it does happen so in that evolution of firearms and and the idea that that technology is constantly uh morphing and changing and growing um people have gotten this idea in their mind that the now i'm going to say a scary word right now ready ar-15 <gasps> are we are we all still okay do we need a safe space? I think, I I think, think we're we, all right. I think mine yeah. just moved. Mine, my, my AR-15 just moved when you said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the AR-15 platform, right, the, the, the scary black guns of today, there are so many people out there that have become fond of, of nodding their head mindlessly and repeating this phrase that, well, the founders would have never even imagined something like this. And all they had was flintlocks. And so clearly when the Second Amendment was written, it wasn't for this gun. Um, but wait, Jim knows about a gun that was very similar in functionality from um, which century, Jim? Do you remember? It's it's a 16 shooter from the 16th century. 16th century. 16 shooter. And a 16 shooter. So I'm pretty sure our founding fathers would have had some concept, right? Indeed they did. And not only was it high capacity, it was fully automatic. 
Oh my goodness. So yeah, we're we're going to have to pause and let everybody go and come <laughs> back because you just said high capacity magazine and you just said uh, full auto. So yeah, anyway, yeah. take a it breath. A, and now we're it's a beautiful gun. It's at our museum in Springfield, Missouri, which we should talk about a little bit too at some point. But uh, it's a wheel lock and a match lock and another wheel lock all built into one. And you, the, the way it worked was with superposed loads, which means you were stacking loads in this muzzle loader, stacking 16 loads in the same barrel. So you loaded powder ball, powder ball, powder ball, 16 times. You had them all stacked in this barrel. And then there were several different ways that you could set it up to operate. It had a total of three locks. It had two wheel locks and a match lock at the rear as a backup. And uh, uh, you could set it just completely full auto. You could set it to where you pull the trigger once and you fire all 16 rounds in sequence like a Roman candle, just one after the other. Uh, now the way it works is the they used a lead bullet, an oval lead bullet with a hole drilled through the lengthwise uh, uh, axis of the lead ball. Uh, and that was filled with fusing. So the first, round fired, the bullet went out the barrel, the fusing burned through to the powder charge between behind the second one, and then it went. So you pull the trigger, they're all going to go. You're not going to stop it by releasing the trigger or anything else. Now using multiple locks, they could load it to where it would first fire nine and then fire six, or first fire nine and then fire five, and still have one round in reserve for the match lock. But it's, it's a beautifully made gun. It's highly decorated. Uh, not a military gun. It was made for royalty, I'm sure. And uh, uh, whether this gun has ever been fired, I don't know. But it is remarkable. And you mentioned the founding fathers. Uh, one thing that the people who argue uh, muzzle-loading flintlocks need to realize is that the Continental Congress placed an order for 100 eight-shot flintlock muskets that used this same basic principle called the Belton flintlock musket. And it was the same principle, stacking eight rounds in, in one barrel. Now there are no surviving examples, so nobody knows exactly how it worked, but there is correspondence between uh, uh, Ben Franklin and Thomas Jefferson and other founding fathers. And there's the resolution that they passed authorizing the purchase of 100 of these high capacity flintlocks. So yeah, they had an idea that you could fire more than one shot uh, before uh, uh, spending 30 seconds reloading your muzzle loader. Uh, Jim, do you think that maybe there's one of these guns somewhere hidden somewhere? Mm. I do you think there is. I would love to see oh, one. Oh, wouldn't it, it be should awesome? definitely go to the NRA museums if it's out there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'd love to just even see one. Uh, oh. I keep hoping one will show up and you never know. You know, people don't realize with, uh, that don't like firearms, they don't realize how much work goes into these guns. It's a fine art. I mean, everything's precision and very well made. And the era we're talking about, I mean, there weren't big gun makers. There were individual gunsmiths. These were guy who'd, guys who'd take a hunk of iron and a hunk of wood and make a gun out of them. Yeah. Uh, so it was a, a very, very high-skilled process. Uh, time the wheel lock was invented, it was it and clocks were the most mechanically complex devices that humans were building at the time. Uh, a lot of people think the wheel lock was designed by Leonardo da Vinci, uh, and it it itself was a huge advance in firearms. It was the first truly concealable firearm because before that you had to carry something burning to set off your powder charge match lock relied on a burning piece of cord to ignite the powder charge. The wheel lock could be carried loaded, primed, and wound up and ready to fire uh, and completely concealed. And mm -hmm. this concept uh, uh, also led to the very first firearms bans. Uh, there were a number of uh, principalities in Europe and uh, that banned wheel locks because they were concealable and uh, to the royalty at the time, it seemed like a terrible idea that someone could come into their presence with a uh, loaded, uh, ready-to-shoot firearm tucked under their tunic. Well, the royalty in the United States feels <laughs> the same way today. 
Right. Yeah, they kind of do, don't they? Yeah. 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 Wonderful point. Oh man, that that is so amazing. And the, the whole idea of, you know, having to have that burning uh, cord in order to operate yeah. your firearms and what do you do in wind? What do you do in rain? It's just, exactly. it just is mind boggling to me. Yeah. Um, but it, what is it? Uh, necessity is the mother of invention. So, yeah. you know, yeah, if, exactly. if they didn't struggle with that, then maybe that's what we would still all be carrying around. I have to ask Jim off script here. What's your favorite? Do you have a favorite gun? Ooh. I have uh, I have a couple of favorite guns. Uh, two of them are are in the museum. One of them is that sixteen shot uh, wheel lock we just talked about. Uh, it's on loan from uh, Joe Wanamaker, who runs the Tulsa Arms Show, world's biggest gun show. Wonderful event, and we we should talk about gun shows in general mm -hmm. sometime. But uh, uh, the other one is a gun that happens to be my all time favorite model of handgun that belonged to my boyhood hero. And that is a Smith & Wesson new model number three that belonged to Theodore Roosevelt. So those are probably my two favorite guns in the museum. That's so cool. And you, you have a collection too, right? I, yeah, I got a couple guns. Yeah, and you like, <laughs> uh, from what I remember, right, you like serial number one guns, right? I do, I do. I, uh, you know, the advice everybody gives collectors is, oh, you've got to specialize. Mm -hmm. And man, I like too much different stuff to specialize. I, I, I wanted basically one of everything. Couldn't afford one of everything, but that's what I wanted. I'm like you were when you looked at the book. I want, I want one of each of those. Right. Uh, but uh, with serial number gun, one guns, there's always at least one gun out there that qualifies for the collection. So right. uh, I got started on those and I've, I've picked up quite a few over the years. Right. That is so fun. And then uh, our granddaughter sent you a, a serial number one um, water pistol. <laughs> yeah, she our... did. And it's in my, oh, I sure got it out. It's in my, it's in my safe with my other serial number ones. It's, it's right in there. And it's a wonderful serial number one water pistol. The only serial number one water pistol uh, in my collection. So maybe in existence. A, and got, so... Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> you know, one of the guns. Red one. <laughs> One of the guns I was always fascinated with, but I, I'm almost 90% sure they're fa uh, fantasy guns, is the vampire kit mm. that came out. Yeah. I love those yeah. things, but I, I don't think it's real. I don't think there ever was really a real one. Do you know? There was, uh, there was gosh, I wish I could remember the source. It was a great academic, well-researched article done on that. And kind of where those vampire killer kits go is they were probably mostly assembled in the 1960s, 1970s, but they have their own collector market now. Uh, you know, they're what, 50, right. 60 years old now, and it's a concept that was big at the time. And uh, um, I don't think any of them were actually made from the era that they represent themselves as being from, uh, but they're still very fun, very cool. And they're, yeah, they're a fantasy thing. Uh, actually, I think the favorite gun at the NRA National Firearms Museum for visitors is a Vampire Hunter kit. It's uh, it's a more modern gun. It's a Colt uh, Detective Special, uh, beautifully engraved by Frank Alini, who's just a, a wonderful Colt master engraver. But it's got uh, uh, it's got a cross engraved on the muzzle. It's got vampire bats hanging upside down in the cylinder flutes. It's got uh, uh, little silver inlaid bats on the uh, on the grips for I assume the vampires that uh, they've killed, and it's cased in a little mahogany coffin. And the guys there, when they're giving a tour, they use it to illustrate firearm safety rules. Uh, you're always supposed to be sure of your target before you shoot. So there's a mirror inside the lid, so you can check and be sure it's a vampire that you're shooting at. <laughs> And you should always be sure that your gun is unloaded while you're cleaning it. So there is a wooden stake that attaches to the cleaning rod. So if you're attacked while you're, you're cleaning your, uh, your vampire killer detective special, you'd still be able to defend yourself with the wood stake. Oh, that's awesome. That it's is cool. So fun. I love it. Um, so talking about uh, two things, trends in collecting firearms, what do you think, um, drives trends is it is it like the the latest gun in a hollywood 
you know, Blockbuster or, or what do you think d- drives that? And what are some interesting guns that you think that are actually under appreciated and under collected? Those are great, great questions. And they're, they're very relevant to a project I'm tackling right now. I'm, I'm just hired on as editor for Standard Catalog of Firearms, which is one of the major price guides on firearms. So I'm going through there and trying to look at this, these 1,700 pages of, of firearms values and say, does this reflect the current market? And I've mm-hmm. tapped a bunch of folks who, who really know their stuff to help me out on it. So I'm getting some really really interesting opinions in from a bunch of experts in the field. Uh, I've surveyed uh, these guys asking about specific types of guns and the feedback I'm getting back, it's not unanimous, but there are consistent trends. Uh, the, the antique firearms, the, the stuff that was popular when I started collecting the cowboy guns, uh, percussion revolvers, early antique cartridge revolvers, Winchester lever actions, uh, uh, Kentucky rifles, that field is a little bit weakening, which, uh, you know, I think it's the aging of that collector group. Uh, they've, been, they've been hoarding them for 40 years and they're slowly, they or their estates are slowly letting their collections go. So uh, the values aren't really going down hard in those, but they're going down, uh, uh, they're, they're kind of staying steady. So if that's a field that you have an interest in, it's not a bad time to start buying. There are, uh, there are you know, relatively affordable guns. One thing that you see with firearms collecting is various fields tend to price themselves out of the market. It happened early on with percussion Colts and Kentucky rifles. It came to where just a few very affluent uh, uh, collectors could afford to buy them. And then you saw it come along with the single action armies, uh, and I got into Smith & Wesson Model 3s, which were a contemporary of the single action army, but didn't get used in the Westerns because they were affordable when I started collecting them, but they started pushing their market up. Uh, what the guys are telling me right now is that the, the fields where you're seeing strong sales, uh, the first, first two I'm gonna mention are not related to collecting, but they're related to firearms purchasing. And those are the, the so-called uh, modern sporting rifles the AR patterns, the AK patterns, basically semi-automatics with detachable box magazines and synthetic stocks that uh, have a cosmetic uh, similarity to military guns. One thing, we talked about that a little bit, but one thing folks have to realize there, that advances in civilian arms have always been picked up by military arms and advances in military arms have always been picked up by civilian arms. So what you're seeing is some of these great ideas that kind of originated with the AR-15, such as the synthetic stock, the straight line configuration, the detachable uh, box magazine. These are, these are good ideas for firearms and that's why they're adopted into the the civilian market as well. Uh, and that's, that's always been the case. But those, those types of uh, uh, guns are very popular. Also, the modern semi-automatic handguns, the synthetic th- frames uh, that started pretty much with the Glock. They weren't the absolute first, but they were the first to be wildly popular. Uh, those, are, those are great sellers now. And uh, they've been huge sellers, particularly with the weird year that 2020 has been. Uh, a lot of first-time gun owners out there uh, two things to say for them, good for you, and get training. Yes. Uh, get safety training, get mm-hmm. shooting training. NRA has a great program of certified instructors, and uh, uh, you owe it to yourself, your family, and the people around you to get trained in the firearms that you, that you bought. Um, among collectible firearms, the areas that guys tell me are kind of increasing are the Older military arms, the uh, uh, early and mid 20th century military arms, those are coming on strong. The classic uh, military semi-automatic pistols, and of course there, the, the 1911 uh, leads the pack, but you also see the, the Lugers, the broom handles, the P-38s, uh, those type of guns uh, as uh, being strong uh, in the market right now. Well, Jim, you remember, I mean, when we were kids, we used to go to the pawn shop and, you know, they'd have uh, 1911s for like $14, $15 and yeah. M1 carbines for 20 bucks. And 
so me at that age, I couldn't afford to buy those guns. And now that I'm at the age where I can't afford to buy them, I buy them up, but they're not $14 anymore. Yeah. And I think that as collectors go, I mean, whatever you were brought up with when you were kids is going yeah. to be what you're looking for. Like a Glock first generation gun. Yeah. To me, when they were around, I didn't like them. Yeah. Yeah. But they are, people are collecting those now, getting them in the original yeah. box with that two piece box and yeah. things like that. So I think what, what we, we want, what we had when we were kids, yeah. or what we saw in a movie, these kind of things. That's I'm, a you know, great point. Like you say, Westerns aren't popular anymore. How often do you see a Western every other year and, and people don't care about those, but uh, uh, the guns that they see in the movie, the guns that they grow up with, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's something that's popular. I also think there's, to me, there seems to be a trend for what were the guns a century ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you're seeing interest in military bolt action rifles, very early semi-automatics. I think you saw that with, with my generation with cowboy guns and with the earlier generation with Kentucky rifles and, and percussion pistols. So. Right. I, I still think guns are a very, very good investment, no matter what type of guns they were from the past. Uh, there's, there's collectors for them. It, you're right. They're not as strong on the Kentucky rifles as they were back you know when we were kids but uh it, i think overall firearms are a very good investment you know the the saying uh in gun collecting used to be you can't pay too much you just pay too soon mm -hmm. now, i don't know that that's still still the case uh but the way i've seen firearms value trends in general is that there's not a lot of the up and down and up and down and up and down uh, you take a little hit when you buy a new gun and shoot it. It's no longer new in box, it's used. So you take a little bite there. But uh, at, at worst, firearms values tend to be steady and generally, more often than not, they, they just kind of rise steadily and uh, uh, strong and never go down. One thing we haven't mentioned in firearm value, uh, values is uh, political influences. Uh, when you have a strong pro-gun uh, administration and, and uh, Congress come in, uh, values get soft. When you have an anti-gun president, an anti-gun legislature, people buy now because they're afraid they're not going to be able to buy next year. Mm -hmm. So uh, you'll, see a, you'll see a change in the firearms market depending on the turnout in the November elections. Right, but I also see that there's a lot of people that were not for guns that are buying guns right now because of COVID and uh, uh, political reasons. And I think we're going to see another, it could be good because once, you know, you, you and I know once you buy a gun and shoot it, you got to have two guns, right? <laughs> and then you got to have three. That's right. And then you got to convince your wife to like guns because if she likes guns, you can buy as many as you can afford to buy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but I, I am seeing a difference as people that, that didn't realize that all the trouble you have to go through to buy a gun. Yeah. Now they're going through that and they're the ones that voted for this stuff. Yeah. And they're going, oh, yeah. I don't want that anymore. And so I think we're going to, it's going to be a different world at the end of this year, I think. Yeah. I, I, I hope you're right. And that certainly makes sense to me that, that people would be influenced this way. I got to tell you, when I married Eve 40 years ago, our first Christmas together, I gave her an RG38 revolver that I paid $25 for. And she is still married to me, so God bless her. The question is, That's awesome. was it number Possibly one? Possibly the worst revolver ever made. Was it, question was number one, was it number one, and do you still have it? It was not number one, but now I do have number one of the RG revolver. Oh, you do? Nice. Yeah, I do. I you do. know, and you know, that, that gun is a cheap, no, it's not good. But, no. But for that's the, how you know it was true love. At the time, when, <laughs> exactly. when, when RGs came out, a Smith & Wesson was $140. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was $25. Yeah. And a lot of people couldn't afford $100 plus dollars for a gun, and they wanted to protect themselves. And so it, it, will, it, it will usually go bang, and the bullet will usually go in the direction that it's pointed. So, <laughs> yeah. Right. So sure. it's better. I mean, so every gun serves a purpose. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're struggling with that now. We, yeah. we don't like to carry certain brands of guns in our store. We, we uh, are very careful about it. But you also have to make sure that you have a gun for every 
type of uh, price point, price point. And yeah. that kind of yeah. thing. So, but so with all of these millions of brand new gun owners, uh, like Dan was saying that while we're sitting in the studio, it's Monday, uh, June 29th in the year 2020 and the COVID thing, whenever you're sitting and listening to this, it could be years later and you're like, I never even heard of COVID. I hope that's <laughs> the case, right? But right now we are admired in it. Yeah, And there's civil unrest and there's people wanting to defund the police and there's people rioting in the streets. And it's just, it's been a, a bit crazy for the past few months. And so there are millions of Americans who for the first time have decided that they want to um, take that responsible step to, to be their own immediate responder. So gun stores, we've been very busy at AZ Firearms. Gun stores are a, a very good way to, to educate people, not only about the training, but also their constitutional rights and that sort of thing. But gun shows, you mentioned that earlier, gun shows are another great avenue for people. And if, if you are like brand new to the whole idea, I mean, there are people out there that are feeling like they're having an out-of-body experience because they're like, what, I the person who was never going to own one of these evil guns is now buying a gun. So the idea of walking into a gun show probably is going to feel like, I don't even know where they hold them. I don't know if yeah. you need a permit to go into one. You know what I mean? So yeah. talk to us a little bit about um, the, the etiquette of, of even, you know, shopping at gun shows and, and, and what they're all about. Cheryl, that is such a wonderful point. And I would encourage any, I, I bet you've got a lot of listeners and viewers who know gun shows very well. But for those of you who haven't gone to a gun show, do it. I've never known anybody who has gone to a gun show and not at least been entertained at the very least. <laughs> yeah, it's it's huge fun. It's huge fun. Concept of a gun show is a promoter rents a big venue and a bunch of individual people, some of them are gun dealers, some of them are private collectors, uh, they come and they rent a table or a row of tables and they bring their guns or their firearms related products and uh, uh, have them for sale there. Now, uh, gun show, people, there, there's a so-called gun show loophole. Uh, gun laws apply at gun shows just like they do anywhere else. So if you're yeah. buying from a dealer, you're going, have to do the paperwork, it's easy, it's simple. They can call in the check while you're there at the show, but uh, you're gonna see a lot of guns. Uh, the, the most important thing attending a gun show is remember your basic rules of gun safety. Just because everything's on delay, uh, on display, and because it presumably has been load checked, doesn't mean you can disregard the basic uh, uh, firearm safety rules. Don't let your muzzle point at anyone. Uh, keep your finger off the trigger. Don't work the action. Uh, that's important from a safety perspective, but that's also very important. On some collectible guns, you can do $100 worth of damage by dry firing at once. Thank so, you uh, for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you have to do be careful with that, Jim, because it's like we're, we're taught, we're told, if you touch a gun, check to make sure that it's empty. That's a great point. You don't do that if you're at a guy's uh, table who's uh, uh, selling commemorative guns. He puts a value on the fact that that action has never been worked. Right. And he will be distressed by the minute scratches that get on there from just load checking the gun. Now, <laughs> I collect junk, so I don't care. <laughs> but you, you get also, you touch also on a very important etiquette thing, and that is that you never touch a gun on a table unless you ask the table holder's permission first. That's, that's right. essentially important. And watch your kids. Do not let them go around uh, fingering guns or other items on the table. They find a cool table full of bayonets. Don't let them go up and just start uh, uh, grabbing through them. Uh, 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 respect the table owner. Ask permission before you handle. Ask permission before you load check or do anything to the action of of the uh, of the firearm, and if you can't load check the gun because a owner doesn't want you to treat the gun as though it was loaded and do not point it at anyone. Uh, but you're right. Especially important, right? And Jim, you're right. If if you go up to somebody that has guns for sale and you look at a gun, you ask first to touch it. They're going to be more responsive to you if you show respect. Exactly. 
and and exactly. they're gonna hey they might even help you get a deal yeah because of be, be, being respectful absolutely and uh, uh gun shows are not just flea markets they are social events they are political events they're an important expression of free speech uh, uh you'll meet people that you'll meet amazing and wonderful people there you'll meet distressing people there you'll meet fascinating people there but there's also that one weird guy there too that's though, what too. he means yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's me right? darn it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me but, uh, yeah yeah it's it's a great time You're, you'll have fun uh you'll be amazed at, at what's out there uh and uh it's uh it's an event it's a it's a social event and the pride uh the if you set up at gun shows, I may be letting your secret out here, but the price marked on the gun is not necessarily the price that you will have to pay for it. This is like a rug bazaar. You're expected to haggle over these guns and you will hear the phrases, oh, I've got more than that in it, or I couldn't take less than, uh, but that's a that's a very, uh, a very hallowed tradition at gun shows is, uh, yeah. is the back and forth bargaining. You gotta play, you know, I. I started going to gun shows, selling at gun shows when I was 12. With oh, my, my gosh. I had my own little table. Because the laws were different. The let's, laws were let's different. Let's clarify yeah, that for right. people. Yeah. The laws were different back <laughs> yeah. in, but it was in the Stone Ages, whenever that was. Yeah. Honey. Because, but. you know, people would, can, can, you, can you trade this gun? Is your dad going to be okay with it? And my yeah. dad would say, he can do whatever he wants to. <laughs> That's be losing. Great. But the point is, I learned so much at a gun show. Yeah. All these years of going to gun shows you learn people you learn uh business you learn so many things plus you can have a lot of fun with it dan that is such an important point because so much of the knowledge in gun collection is passed on person to person and uh if you're if you're new at this odds are pretty good you're going to meet your mentor either at a gun show or in a gun collecting club which if you're if you get seriously interested in uh in guns, you, you want to check out your local gun collecting club too. Or if you're a specialty collector, if you like Colts or Winchesters or Smith and Wessons, you want to check out that national brand name collector group too. You know, we, uh, we've expanded AZ Firearms and I have a room now and we're in the process of getting this room built, but I have all my collector guns in there, machine guns and oddity guns and all that. And I can't wait to, I mean, I've opened it up a little bit, but I can't wait to fully open that place up just so people can ask questions. Yeah, yeah. Because well, now, they, now you know, on the weekends when there isn't a gun show, people need to go to AZ Firearms and right. ask to see the special room. Because right, that would be sure. really, really cool. There's some fun okay. stuff in there. And the stuff has been sitting in a, you know, in my vault yeah all these years and and i'm finally saying you know what that's not what i got it for i want to show people it's not to brag but yeah. to give inf information and to let people see things that they probably have never seen before yeah it's so yeah. fun so true so well jim we uh need to start wrapping up but no. we could i no, know i know we seriously <laughs> could just keep talking all day um, but I do want to give folks a chance to know how can they follow all the cool stuff that you're doing, your new position you mentioned, and also get their own copy of this big, beautiful uh, coffee table, you know, worthy book. It's very kind of you to ask. And I am new enough to retirement that I don't have a lot of that set up. Uh, later this fall, I will be uh, opening the gunheritage.com website. Uh, I have negotiated and will probably reacquire my armchairgunshow.com website. When I have a web presence, all my different books will be available for sale on it, but uh, probably I'm going to get back into occasional uh, consignment sales of collectible guns and appraisals and consulting. Uh, people who need to get a hold of me can just contact me at my email. It's my name at outlook.com, Jim Supica, S-U-P-I-C-A at outlook.com. And to get that, I think that is a wonderful book. I, uh, obviously, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of our staff who put it together. But uh, uh, they can get that, obviously, on amazon.com. I am sure that at some point, NRA is going to start selling it. I don't know if they have or not. You might even be able to talk Phil and Doug, uh, who are still there at the museum, 
into uh, sending you an autographed copy if you ask nicely in order from the NRA. So I, I think we might be doing that. Yeah. Good. Good. <laughs> so, I love it. Well, thank you so much for all you do, Jim. Uh, the, the knowledge is so important to pass the knowledge forward. So, um, you know, museums, that's another thing that let's get back together on, on, on this show and talk more about how important museums are to helping people know what came before and removing the politicization, ooh, that's a hard word, easy for yeah. me to say, um, off of the, the items themselves and understanding more about the technology and the artwork and the beauty and, and uh, you know, the time frame and what was going on in the world when they, they, these items were made. Um, that knowledge is so vital to our future. So thank you. For well, thank you for those forward. kind words and right back at you. Thank you for the great work that you guys are doing with gun freedom radio. Uh, I hope folks have seen that promotional clip that I got to take a look at. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful attitude about firearms. I wish everybody involved in guns in the country uh, had that kind of attitude and the kind of skills to present that. So thank you guys for what you're doing. You're doing great work. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate you. that, Jim. All right. Well, we are definitely going to be reaching back out and asking you to come back on so we can talk some more. So I hope you'll come. Oh, absolutely. Thanks, Fantastic. Jim. Thank you very much. Thank we'll you. See you. Bye. Bye, Bye, Jim. Wow. And that the was... ad that he's talking about, I'm so complimented that, that Jim likes it. Yes. We had a, uh, two video ads produced by uh, uh, Abigail Hall. She's an awesome videographer and storyteller. And the one that he's talking about that I sent to him is, um, it's really the family. You know, we're a family-owned gun store. And we really... Um, portray that, that, you know, it's about, we help you protect what you love. And that's basically the theme of this, um, this ad. And, uh, you know, so often it's about the, you know, the tough guy kind of, you know, attitude and, um, no, you know what it is so often hmm. about money. Oh, sometimes it's, it's, yeah. it's mostly about money. And, you know, it's, it's not, as you get older and you start learning things, you realize, no, it's not all about money. Yeah. I mean, firearms is a, is, is, it's not a, a privilege, it's a right. Mm -hmm. And um, it takes a lot of responsibility. Mm -hmm. And if we don't continue to teach that, then we're going to lose it all. Mm -hmm. And so we have to teach responsibility and perfect examples as at our, our gun shop. So our commercials need to show that we Hold that responsibility. That's true. And then we did, uh, Abigail used a lot of the same footage, but then put like this, this high energy driving music behind it and uh, kind of showed the, oh, the fun stuff about guns or yeah. just, you know, such the, a selection, kind of like uh, Jim Supika's book. It's kind of like a, a little bit of everything that we have at AZ Firearms, but um, like I, said, I will post those on the Gun Freedom Radio Facebook page. So like I said, sure. the only thing this book is missing besides his autograph, is a little check mark so that you can check off all the guns you own <laughs> and the ones you want to get and a wish list on the back page so that when you want something, what do you want for Christmas? You have everything. I want this. I'm there so, he is. It's on page 47. I'm so afraid. I'm so afraid. So it's you know just, we always say pray, pray for a nation and pray for everybody. Pray, pray for my, my budget. It's just one more gun, Joe. <laughs> oh just stars. one more. Yeah. Well, again, it's so much, it's so important to remember our history uh, because um, when we don't know it, it's too easy for people to fool us into saying ridiculous things and voting for ridiculous things. And um, I just, uh, the, a museum and a book like this, it's a beautiful and non-threatening place and a way to just start opening your mind and just saying, okay, I don't have to agree with this to look at it right? And then just start, you know, reading about it and, and you might find a new appreciation uh, for it. Yeah, um, you might not agree with the 1955 Chevy that's low ride or souped up or whatever, but that doesn't mean that somebody doesn't appreciate it. Right. Let, you know, let right. people have free minds to appreciate it. Yeah, that's a true thing. I mean, we don't let them, 
right? Right. Because that's permission. But that's a yeah. whole different thing. All right. We've got to get out of here. Um, you know, wow, it was fun to do golly. a fun show. Yes. It was, this was fun. It was like fun. Yes. There was no like threats or worries or yes. it was all talking about fun. I know you wanted me to really like go and excuse myself that, so the two of you could just have the, the floor to yourselves, right? Were you even here? <laughs> I did, Barely. I, I, I'm sorry. Barely. I, I was the other guy today. Yeah. Right. I was the, the anyway. interloper into your your love affair conversation with with Jim and, and Jim. All thank you again guests. for that. It was great. For sure. And so, um, thank you so much to our awesome listeners. Truly, the conversations we have are important. But when you take them around your dinner tables and into your carpools, if we're doing that nowadays, who knows? <laughs> because of COVID, um, or whatever, your chat rooms, uh, your Zoom conversations, when you take the ideas that we talk about uh, beyond uh, just going into your own earbuds um, or, or, or watching one of the YouTube videos that we put up, that is invaluable, truly. Your time is your most finite resource, and when you spend it with us, we sure don't hate that. <laughs> you know, I need to take my truck to a carpool. It, it's really dirty right now. <laughs> I was going Dad. to. I was going to yesterday, but there was a minor accident, and there was a donkey on the road. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. No, no, I'm not laughing at that. Why did they say minor accident? <laughs> it's not about mining. I know. That's what I'm thinking. What's a minor with a donkey doing on the freeway? Bad dad jokes by Dan. Okay, Todd. I I'm just curious. Oh my goodness. Okay. Let's pray for our Thank bad, you. Bad well, jokes. I also want to thank Jim because he's awesome. Thank you for the time you spent with us. And now, who are we going to pray for? Think about it. Clock's ticking. Uh, our nation. Our world. <laughs> I, I look like it, it hurt a little bit. No. Is that painful? Pray, pray for our world. Pray for our world. Pray for our nation. Pray for our leaders, our representatives. All of them? All of them, Dan. Even the ones you don't like. Do you think we can get them changed? We just pray for them and let God sort it out, right? Okay. Especially pray for the ones you don't like. That that one, that main one that comes to mind. Pray How for come that there's, one. You know what? There is one. How come it's always that one? I mean, it's. I don't know, because there's just, always another election and maybe that one will move on. Oh, uh, you don't. Uh, have you ever tried to get glue off of wood? Okay. <laughs> You can't. It's it's deep in the grain, right? I'm scared you're right about that. Oh, but anyway, San Francisco, please help them. We but pray for them. Pray for San Francisco. There you go. You're getting the hang of it. I love it. Nancy Drew. No, not Nancy. Nancy. Uh, anyway, pray for them. Be good to each other. Have a great week. And God bless. Goodbye.